Kiri everyone. I'm Matt. If I haven't met you, it's nice to see you here today. Well, I just want to give you a heads up about something. In just a moment, uh, one of the members of our congregation is going to stand up and is going to call out something. Now, I'll tell you this so that you are prepared. It's going to be a bit loud. The person I've asked has a pretty loud voice, so you want to prepare yourself for that. You know, if you're so inclined, you know, cover your ears or turn your hearing aid down or something. Um, but I also tell you, because uh, when the person calls out, it's going to require a response. It's going to require you to respond. Well, you can choose not to respond if you really want to. Um, but if you want to kind of join in on the fun, you can, you can respond. You'll, you'll know how to respond. Uh, and I just want to give you a heads up about that, all right? So just to prepare you, you're feeling prepared about what's going to happen in just a few moments? All right, well, a few moments. Thanks, Kev, everybody. That's Kev. <laughs> One of our youth group. Uh, give me an indication. Did you feel prepared for that? Anyone taken by surprise by what happened just now? Yeah, we've, okay, anyone taken by surprise? Anyone blocked their ears? No. Good. Well, the coming of Jesus Christ, it requires a response for us because the reality that Christ comes has come, well, it has eternity-altering implications. It's, in fact, the coming of Christ into the world is so big that God gives us a heads up. Uh, and we see that in our passage this morning. He gives us a heads up to help us prepare to respond to him. And, and that is in the form of John, the son of Zechariah, or more commonly known as John the Baptist. And John's ministry is set apart by God to prepare people to respond to the Christ when he comes. So as we take a closer look at that this morning in Luke chapter 3, let's pray and ask God to show us how we ought to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word uh, and that it uh, teaches us and guides us and it tells us your will. Lord, this morning as we look at Luke chapter 3, uh, please help us to know how we ought to respond to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, if you've read um, Luke chapter 1, um, well, if you haven't, go home and read it. It's a great chapter. Uh, but if we have read it, we know a little bit about this guy, John, already. We know that there's an air of excitement around him. Uh, we know his birth was a bit of a miracle. And we, fa- we found out back in chapter 1 that Gabriel, the angel, told John's dad that John's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. So there's a bit of a air of excitement and expectation around this guy called John. And now at this very specific moment, as it says there in, year, uh, in verse 1, 15th year of Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, governor, etc., etc. A very specific moment in time when John's grown up, it's now that his, his ministry really starts to get pumping. And, and what starts the ball rolling is that the word of God came to John. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't tell us what God said to John at that particular moment, which is a little disappointing because it'd be nice to know, wouldn't it? But it does tell us 
how John responds to God's word. And that is, take a look at verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, at this point in history, baptism was kind of the same, but also a little different to what we do here when we baptise people in our church. You see, back then, the Jewish people were all about being clean, ceremonially clean in the sight of God. And they had all sorts of rituals that they would go through very regularly to help them be clean, washing their hands a particular way, washing their their plates and their cutlery and their cups a particular way. And when they had parties, they'd have big jugs of water to... to, so they could clean themselves and go through this ceremonial washing. And actually, as we read through the gospel, we see Jesus interacting with that a bit. And a few times, he even hauls them over the coals for their rigid adherence to these cleaning laws that they've got. But if you're a Jew, or if you wanted anything to do with Jews, you needed to be ceremonially clean. And baptism was a ritual performed to ceremonially clean people. So if ever a non-Jew or a Gentile wanted to become associated with Judaism, then they had to be cleansed because as a Gentile, they were, they were unclean. Uh, and they would therefore contaminate all the Jews. So baptism was a kind of ceremonial washing for them in order to make them clean um, and okay to be amongst God's people. Now, that's kind of baptism. John here is baptizing, and his baptism was actually about repentance. Now, repentance is one of those, you know, Christianese kind of words, isn't it, that, that you hear said, if you hang around churchy people enough, you hear that word a fair bit, repentance. What it means is turning the trajectory of your life around so that you're heading towards God. You see, as a race, humans have rejected God. We've turned away from Him, turned our backs to Him. And we need to <laughs> repent to turn back to him, realigning our trajectory with God once more. And that, that's what, that's what um, uh, repentance is. Uh, and the great news of the Bible is that uh, if, for those who do repent, they will be forgiven of their sin. And that's what John here is preaching about. He's preaching a baptism uh, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, at that point in history, there are actually tons of people preaching all sorts of things kind of like today right people preach stuff all the time trying to trying to get their worldview out there and and get others to follow them that's what preaching is today it happens mainly like through the television uh, and and media and social media and that kind of stuff but back then it happened by people the preachers kind of going to a street corner finding the nearest street corner getting up on a box and and preaching uh, and, and John was kind of one of these preachers. But what sets John apart from the rest is that he was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said he was going to come. Uh, and he informed his hearers that this guy, John, would have a specific task. He said it back in Isaiah 40, which is quoted here in verses 4 and 6. Isaiah the prophet, he said uh, that John is a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and 
all mankind will see God's salvation. John is a precursor to God's salvation coming. He's the warm-up act. So if you've been to see a famous band recently, which I know some of you have, uh, if you got to the venue early enough, you would have seen the warm-up act, uh, where the famous band gets a, a less famous band to go out before them to get the juices flowing, to get people pumped up, ready for the moment when, when the main act comes out on stage. And that's what John is to the Christ. His job is to prepare people for when the Christ comes, bringing God's salvation with him. And the way that John does this is through preaching the word of God to them. But who is he preaching to? Well, verse 7 tells us that it's crowds of people. So he must have been a pretty standout preacher because that's, imp- that's pretty impressive, getting crowds of people to travel out into the desert to hear your message. I don't think you guys would have done that this morning, driven out into the desert to hear me preach. I don't think so. Um, but that's what, that's what happens. They go out uh, to hear John preaching in the desert. They're not, it's not like they're in an air-conditioned room with comfy seats. And when they, when they got there, they weren't greeted by a team of warm, friendly, smiling welcomers. Now, when, when they got there, they were greeted by John getting chizzy with them. Now, this is, this is how John greets them. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Imagine that. Imagine if John, as in John Thorpe, if, if he said that to you this morning, when he got up, you know, Greg was playing the piano, got to that bit where he stops and the, person, the, the service leader starts speaking and John just goes... You brood of vipers, who warned you? It's not a very politically correct way of addressing a crowd who's journeyed into a desert to hear you speak. I don't think that would go down very well in our society. But it's what John did, it's what he said. John the Baptist, that is, not John Thorpe. (laughs) And the interesting thing is, is that he's talking to Jewish people. And we know that because he calls them the children of Abraham. Or he talks to them about having Abraham as their father in verse 8. And so this baptism of forgiveness for the forgiveness, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, this spiritual cleansing is, it's actually for all people. Not just the ceremonially unclean. The Jews also needed it. They also needed to acknowledge that they were not right with God. And that they needed to repent. And this is pretty radical because, well, at that time, the the Jews thought that if you were a descendant of Abraham, then you were sweet. You were on the in with God. And if you weren't Jewish, well, you needed to be ceremonially cleansed through baptism first before you could be part of the in crowd. The Jews thought they were all good. Now, you can imagine that this mindset uh, led to a bit of a superiority complex. And also, it led to taking God for granted, which if there's two things that God doesn't like, it's thinking that you're superior and taking him for granted. And so if these people with this mindset are going to have any chance of responding appropriately to Christ, then they're going to to need that mindset to be changed. They're going to need to have their outlook realigned. They're going to need someone to slap them around the chops a bit, give them a dose of reality, And so God sends John. 
And John comes in and he calls them out straight away. And he tells them how it really is. He says, Oh, so you're one of Father Abraham's many sons, are you? Great. Fantastic. Give yourself a pat on the back. But don't get too cocky about that because you're not as clean as right and righteous as you think you are. You need to be baptized too. You need repentance and forgiveness too. And if you don't think you do, well, make no mistake, judgment is coming. It's closer than you think. The axe is already swinging towards the root of the tree. John reveals to these guys that God is not pleased with the children of Abraham. And it's not like he can't just raise up some more if he wanted to, even from the stones. And so he says to them, if you want to show that you are right with God, what you need to do is produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Show it through your actions and the way that you live. And that was John's message to the crowds. Talk about a dose of reality. Talk about being smacked around the chops. When was the last time someone spoke like that to you? When was the last time a Christian brother or sister rebuked you and set you straight with God? Maybe it was recently, but you know, it probably wasn't for a while. Because we, you know, us 21st century Western Christians, we, we don't really do this very well. We don't practice it very much. But perhaps we should because it's not like we don't struggle with the same things that these guys did. It's not like we don't struggle with arrogance and complacency like they did. What's true for them is true for us also. No one is righteous, not even one. No one can make themselves clean and pleasing to God. We all need a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And also, to show that, to produce fruit in keeping with our repentance. Because if there's no repentance, well, every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. We ought to heed John's words every bit as much as that original crowd, the children of Abraham, did. We too ought to look at the kind of fruit our life is producing and ask ourselves, is this, is this, is the way that I live in keeping with my repentance? Does, do my actions show that I have been cleansed by God and been made one of his children? We need to ask ourselves that question. And if, as we think about it, the answer is, well, I'm not sure, I don't really know. Well, today we're in luck because it seems like that was the answer that many people in the crowd had that day. And so what did they do? They sought clarification. They asked John. So how does it work? If you have a, look, have a look there, verse 10, verse 12, and verse 14. You've got the crowd, the tax collectors, and the soldiers all asking John, what, what should we do? You're just, you've just said to us, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So what does that mean? What, what should we do? And John answers them. He says things like, well, if you've got two tunics, anyone here got two tunics? I think a tunic's like a cloak. But if you've got two of them, share with one, with someone who doesn't have any. And if you've got more food than others, then share it. Um, and, you know, don't cheat people and steal their money. Don't, don't give false testimony about them. Don't accuse them falsely. 
Be, be content with what you have. John says that the kind of fruit that God is looking for is things like showing grace and mercy to people, acting in love and selflessness, speaking in truth, being content with what God's provided. Are these things, do they characterize you? Do they characterize us as God's people, as believers? Because these are the kinds of things that are in keeping with repentance. They don't make you right with God. Only Jesus makes us right with God. But those who have been made right with God through Jesus, well, it's seen in the way that they live. They live a certain way. Grace, mercy, love, selflessness, truth, contentment. These are what characterize the repentant. Are they what characterize you? Now, John challenges them on this, and it seems to blow their minds a little bit here in the crowd, so much so that they start to wonder who John is. They start to wonder whether he actually might be the Christ that they've been waiting for. Is John that descendant of King David, who God said in 2 Samuel 7, uh, will return Israel to its full glory? Is that John? Is that what he's going to do? Is John the one that Isaiah the prophet spoke about as the prince of peace whose kingdom will never end and who will rule the earth in justice and equity? Could John, son of Zechariah, be the saviour king that everybody has been waiting for? He's certainly displaying some pretty hardcore godly attributes here. He's certainly got some rigorous teaching Is John the Christ? But John knows what they're thinking, and John knows that he's not the Christ, but rather he's the one who prepares the way for Christ. And so he gives, so he takes this opportunity to give the crowd some insight as to how they can be prepared for when the Christ actually does come. And just when you think John's preaching is already pretty hardcore, he goes and knocks it up a notch. The Christ, do you want to know about the Christ? He says. Well, let me tell you, you think I've got power, I'm nothing compared to the Christ. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. My baptism is only with water, a symbol, symbolic cleansing. But the Christ will cleanse us in a way that can't be done merely with water, a way which requires the Holy Spirit and fire. It requires the Holy Spirit because this baptism isn't just some symbolic ceremony. It's an actual spiritual cleansing, one that will make us pleasing to God. And he'll baptize with fire because this cleansing, it actually includes judgment. It includes the consequence for those who won't repent. He's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is actually part of his baptism, his cleansing. Christ's baptism isn't just about cleaning sin away but it's about cleaning away sinners and make no mistake those who refuse to repent will face the consequence that's John's message to them about the Christ it's designed to set the crowd straight prepare them for the reality of the coming Christ because at the moment it doesn't seem they're ready yet they've got some confusion about what the Christ even is let alone who he is They don't know. He's far greater and more powerful than they understand. 
and the consequences of his ministry are going to be more severe than they realize. They think John's hardcore, wait until they meet the real Christ. And as it turns out, they don't have to wait very long because the very next thing that happens is along comes Jesus. Now, we have read Luke chapters 1 and 2 here at church, so we know that he's the one we're waiting for. We know that Jesus is the one, that he's the Christ. We've heard the angels tell Mary that he is the son of God most high who will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And we've heard that same angels uh, uh, tell the shepherds in the field that that baby lying in a manger, he is the saviour born to us. He is Christ, the Lord. So we know about Jesus. We know that he's the one. But when he finally starts up his ministry, Jesus does something completely unexpected. He gets John to baptize him. And it's like, hang on a second. Isn't this the one who is so powerful that his, his dirty shoes, his dirty sandals are too precious for John to even touch? Isn't this the one who has authority to baptize not merely with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Isn't he the one that's supposed to be doing the cleansing rather than being cleansed himself? And here he is submitting to John's baptism. Surely, if there was anyone who didn't require baptism of forgiveness, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, surely it's Jesus. But here he is being baptized. And it's a little bit mind-boggling. I wanted, I wanted to come up with a bit of an example to, to show how ludicrous this is. And I struggled to come up with one, but I did. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I really love the band Queen. Okay, I... I love them. I've got all their albums, bordering on obsession. Uh, and particularly Brian May, he's the guitarist, the lead guitarist. He's the one with the big fuzzy hair. Um, and he's like guitar god surpassed by no one, right? That He's as good as it gets. <laughs> and that's not subjective at all. <laughs> but anyway, Brian, Brian May, guitar god surpassed by none. It's like him taking a guitar lesson from 11-year-old me. And when I was 11, I started learning my first song, Wombat on a Surfboard. That classic, I'm sure you all know it very well. Uh, and the first chord change in Wombat on a Surfboard is from a C chord to an A minor chord. Now, if you know anything about guitar, you know that's about as easy as it gets. You know, it's, you just move one finger a very small space. It takes about a millisecond to do. I did it about a thousand times in that last song. But when I was 11, it took me about a minute just to do that. I just couldn't get my head around moving my finger a small amount of space. I was a slow learner. And it, took, it just took me ages to, to get this. I was, I was a pretty rubbish guitarist when I, when I first started as a year 11-year-old. Now, imagine 11-year-old me teaching the immeasurably superior Brian May about how to play wombat on a surfboard and schooling him about how to transition from a C chord to an A minor chord. It would be ludicrous. It's just like, it doesn't make any sense. It just wouldn't happen. He's superior in every way still to me as a guitarist. But that's what it's like for John to baptise Jesus, who's immeasurably more powerful and superior to him. 
And so why did it happen? Why did, why did Jesus submit himself to that? Why did, it, why did he do it? Well, he did it because he had come to be the representative of fallen humanity. And so by submitting to John's baptism like this, this is Christ the Saviour standing in solidarity with his fellow humans in all of their sinfulness. That is humility. He didn't need it, but he did it to stand in solidarity with us. That's humility beyond any other human. And that's why he did it. And then after he did it, as he was praying, something just completely mind-blowing happened. If you look there at verse 22. So heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Talk about ultimate validation, right? For Jesus, but also for John. John's preaching. Like he's just been preaching about how all humanity are unpleasing to God. They're out of relationship with God and about how there's a Christ coming who's going to baptize, who has the power to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And here is Jesus standing there before John and the rest of the crowds with God declaring him to be pleasing to him, to be his son in right relationship with him. And all the while the Holy Spirit is descending upon him bodily for all to see. If there's any doubt as to who John's ministry was preparing for, let there be no doubt. It was Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one through whom God's salvation will come. He's the one with power and authority to forgive sins and to save and also to destroy with unquenchable fire. Jesus is the Christ. There's no question about that. But the question is, how will humanity respond to him? Now, Luke in his gospel doesn't tell us any more about what happened on that specific day and about how people responded to him there in the moment as they saw this happening. But as we continue to read his account, we see various people responding in various ways. Some responding in repentance and faith and others responding in ignorance. But the question for us is, how will we respond? How do you respond to Jesus the Christ? We have before us here today an historical account of a particular moment in history. It's written by a certified doctor, Dr. Luke, who carefully investigated everything about the life of Jesus and whose message is verified by eyewitnesses. And Luke is telling us about John the Baptist, who is the one Isaiah the prophet prophesied about, telling us that he is the precursor to God's salvation coming. And Luke tells us that John points to Jesus. John proclaims Jesus as the Christ who is to come. And then Luke shows us Jesus, the Christ, standing in the power of the Holy Spirit, validated and endorsed by the voice of God himself as the one who has power to forgive and to save and to destroy with unquenchable fire. This is Jesus, the Christ. So how do we respond to him? Well, one choice is to respond in ignorance. And I'm not talking about the kind of ignorance where you can, you know, you can plead ignorance because you didn't know. Nobody told you. 
Now, the fact is, we, at least everybody in this room, have been prepared. We've heard John's message. For us, responding in ignorance is the kind of ignorance where, where people you know, stop their fingers in their ear and say, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. You know, ignoring, deliberately ignoring the message to our own eternal detriment. But we can do that if we want. We can ignore it. But Jesus is the Christ. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the Son of God, whom God loves and with whom God declares he is well pleased. Jesus is the one with all the power and all the authority to baptize the earth with, Holy, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, saving those who turn to him and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We can ignore him if we want, but a better response is to respond in repentance and faith, to turn back to him for salvation and live a life that produces fruit in keeping with repentance that demonstrates our faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to save us and thank you for giving him all the power and authority to do so. Uh, Lord, we thank you for John, whose entire purpose was to prepare your people to respond to Jesus. Lord, help us to respond to him in repentance and faith and help us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to continue in faith until Jesus comes again and gathers us into his kingdom. And we ask this in his name. Amen.